why is it so hard for us to get rid of our bad habits? Uh, I, I was going to get rid of all of my ha- bad habits for the new year, but, but then I realized that most people don't like quitters, so I de- decided not to. Uh, there's a bunch of different reasons, isn't there, why it's hard for us to get rid of those habits. You know, our habits often provide for us a sense of comfort in times of stress, even if they're not good for us. You know, they, they often uh, give us a gratification that we're longing for because our brains are kind of wired to prioritize short-term rewards over long-term benefits. And some habits are even addictive. And when we give them up, our bodies go through withdrawal. Sometimes (laughs) we're not even aware that a habit may even be harmful. And habits, whether they're good or whether they're bad, create pathways in our brains. And the more that we practice a habit, the more ingrained that pathway becomes when it becomes automatic. And breaking a bad habit means that that we have to create new pathways in our brains. And change can be intimidating. The idea of altering a familiar routine even if it's harmful for us, can be somewhat unnerving. Uh, Since the start of the year, we've been talking about holy habits. You know, what are those things that we can do each and every day? What are those routines? What are those pathways that, that, that we can make so that we can be more of who God knows that we could be. You know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement in the 1700s, uh, talked about this in terms of means of grace, ways in which we get to experience God. People who have a habit of serving each other, they're able to put their purpose over their preferences. Uh, I, I did to Tori what, what, what I did to Maddie McCullers, a, a, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh, I sent her the wrong scripture, <laughs> which is really easy for me to do. So thank you, Tori, for, for, for bearing with my mistake. Uh, I'm going to read lots of the scripture that, that we're reading from 1 Peter. And it's also, uh, you have it in your worship guide if you uh, want to refer to it there. But 1 Peter is a letter that's attributed to the Apostle Peter. And it's a letter that was written to help people to have a holy life. Uh, to honor God in a hostile world. It's much like the other letters that were written and we find in our our New Testament. Uh, they're, They're written to help these people figure out this new way of living life, this this new faith in Christ. 
And as the letter comes to a close, Peter gives people a word of encouragement to take care of each other and to love each other. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the love that, that Peter is talking about here is an agape love. It's a term that refers to a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It is much like the love that Jesus was preaching when he walked the earth with us. And here Peter is encouraging the faith community to have a deep, passionate commitment to each other. Uh, Peter in this text goes on to remind them that they are to extend a warm welcome to everyone who comes into the community. Peter says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't know about you, but it gives me a little bit of comfort to know that the early church, uh, as they're trying to follow uh, Jesus, was also having trouble with people grumbling. (laughs) Uh, The Greek word here for hospitality, and I hope I say it right, is philosinos. Uh, It's a compound word. Enos, meaning stranger, and philos, meaning love. Peter is telling the church to practice a love for strangers, to welcome everyone. Now, the word philos, if, if you are remembering, is closely related to a family love, like love of siblings, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So Peter is actually telling them to love each other, to love the stranger as if they're family. People who have a habit of serving each other are able to put their purpose over their preferences. Now, for us to be able to make serving each other a habit means that we're going to probably have to get rid of some old habits, aren't we? We're going to have to set aside what we want for the good of the church community. And this is really difficult because for many of us, we invest so much in our church family. Sometimes even changing a small thing can feel like a really big thing. We can have a deep sense of loss or we can feel betrayed by our church leaders. Uh, Changes in the church can raise fears about losing the the type of community that you have. Uh, We can be afraid that we're going to have members that will leave 
Or, or we might fear that it will dilute the message in some way. And this fear of the unknown can be a significant barrier in embracing change. It's because our church life has become a habit. And when a habit is disruptive, even if it's for a good reason, it's hard. So, how can we bridge the gap, so to speak, between the habit of what we enjoy and what we desire into a habit of putting others first? And I think the words here uh, in First Peter can give us uh, a really good place to start. Uh, first, I think Peter's telling us to say no to negativity. Uh, let, let's read 1 Peter 4, 9 together. Uh, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, when I served uh, another church, we were creating a, a worship service uh, to reach out to young people in the community. Uh, and we decided with lay people and church leadership that the fellowship hall would be a better, more intimate venue for this new contemporary service than the sanctuary. And so with the approval of all the, the committees and all that kind of stuff, we, we got to work. We, we hung this black draping across the back of the stage to hide the bulletin boards and some of the, the doorways. Uh, we had some trusses that we brought in to put lighting on and projection and sound. And as these changes began to take place, as you can imagine, people started to grumble. People said that we were junking up the fellowship hall. You know, I don't know, but my hunch is it was less about junking up the fellowship hall and more about a fear of change. What if the new service worked? How does that change the dynamic of people in our community? Peter tells us to offer hospitality, to love the stranger, and not grumble. He doesn't say, don't be scared. He doesn't say, don't be unsure. He doesn't even say, don't question. He says, don't grumble that we put the mission first. This Christmas, uh, Hannah gave me a um, gratitude journal for me to use daily throughout the year. And, and in it, at the top, it, it kind of, you go through a pattern of writing down the things you're grateful for. And the very first thing it has is either an inspirational quote or a challenge for the day, and when I was, the day I worked on this section of the sermon, here's what was at the top. It said, if you catch yourself complaining today, pause. Take full ownership of what is happening in your life by approaching this moment with, an, with a solution-oriented mindset. Now, that's reframing. That's reframing 
framing our thoughts in a very powerful way so that we can say no to negativity. To change our perspective, that's a building block in forming new habits. If you think about and react to something in a positive way, you can help move things forward rather than tear things down. Replace complaints with positive statements. And when you feel like grumbling, express something in a positive way. Or maybe say something positive about something totally different. Or you can do what my grandmother and yours probably said. If you can't say something nice, just don't say anything at all. Now saying no to negativity is pretty simple. All you got to choose, all you got to do is choose to be positive. Choose to see the glass half full rather than half empty. Uh, I, I had a, this morning I learned about this and, and it's just a great example. I, I have dyslexia and I've never really shied away from telling people that I have dyslexia. And, and I, could, I could see it half empty and talk about how much harder it is for me to read than other people and how that puts me behind on some things. But, but I've decided I need to see it as half full. Uh, we have a church uh, young adult who's in the hospital and I went to visit them on Friday. And we, we try to communicate great. And I said in our clergy text thread, I said, hey, saw the person at the hospital and here's what's going on. They're in room 409. I get to church this morning and learn that it's actually room 490 and Maggie got to meet a wonderful new couple <laughs> yesterday and so I asked her, did you invite them to church? You know, saying no to negativity, it's simple but it's not easy. But it's worth the work. It'll actually make you a healthier person. Chronic negativity can lead to feelings of stress, sadness, irritability. Being positive can actually reduce depression and anxiety. Keeping those negative thoughts at bay helps us see the bigger picture of what's happening. Peter goes on to encourage the church to use their talents to serve each other. And I want to tell you, here at Asbury, we, we want people to say yes to your strengths. So much of the time, the church world can feel like it's all about filling a spot, Right? And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be about filling a volunteer spot. The church is at its best when people are serving in the places where God has gifted them. Uh, we've partnered with an organization, Ministry Architects, to form a survey that, that takes every single volunteer position that we have in our church to date. And through a series of questions, it spits out your 10 
most, uh, your 10 best jobs to meet your gifts. It's called the Volunteer Accelerator. And all you have to do is to go to uh, asburybirmingham.com uh, slash now, and you'll see the Volunteer Accelerator right there. Now, I want to caution you, don't leave it up to church leaders to find you a place to serve. Because we want serving to be a habit. We want serving to be something that we do instinctively. Uh, last Sunday, over at the Madison Apartments, our neighbors just up the street, there was a fire. And it, I think it knocked out about four units in their apartment complex. A church member of ours saw the smoke and they drove over there and they began talking to uh, EMS, the emergency management people who were on the scene. And by that evening, we had one of the families housed by using Asbury Resources and we had given some of the other residents some gift cards to be able to go get some essentials. What I love about this story is that person didn't get on the phone and call Brooke, our mission and outreach coordinator, or, or Mike Holly, our senior pastor, or me, and say, hey guys, maybe we should get someone over there. He instinctively just got in his car and went, and he served. Peter writes to the church, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The word steward is a word that was used for someone who is responsible for the resources of the household. Now, in ancient biblical days, this would have been more like a small business than a family. Uh, it would have looked a lot like a large family farm, if you will. There would be extended family living on the compound as well as, as other workers. So this was a, a pretty important position. And to use this word, what Peter is saying is that we need to be people who distribute God's resources in a healthy, good way. It's like our membership vows say, when we become members, a faithful steward is one who gives their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. If we're going to build a habit of serving, and if we're going to try and put our purpose as a church over our preferences, what we desire, that's going to take us serving with our hearts. You know, in biblical days, the people thought that the heart was more than, than just a muscle to help you live. They believed it was the part of you that was closest to God. It was the part of you where your thoughts your feelings, your spirituality resided. It, it was the main part of who we are. 
Peter says to the church, if if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter's telling them to serve with their hearts, their full and complete selves. To make everything about them devoted to God and to each other. When we serve with our heart, we find ourselves connected to each other in some powerful ways. We begin to look at our church as not a product to consume but a people to be a part of. For example, uh, we all have our favorite place to sit, right? We all like our spot to sit. And people would serve with their heart, they still have a favorite place to sit. But people who, who serve with their heart take a moment to notice those around them. They take a little bit of time before and after the service, and if they see someone they don't know, They introduce themselves. People who serve with their heart uh, scoot down the row or move toward the front in order to give other folks a place to sit. Uh, Over Christmas, our, our family went to New York for a bucket list vacation. Uh, And I have to tell you, we were the stereotypical uh, Southern tourist staying in Times Square and going to shows, going to the Statue of Liberty, the 9-11 Memorial, the Rockefeller Center. Uh, we, we did all the, the normal New York stuff. We ate at some amazing places. We also ate at a couple of not-so-amazing places. Uh, one of the best meals we had we found kind of late in the game. It was a Brazilian steakhouse. Do you know what these are? They, they walk around with various kinds of meat and they come to your table and they cut it and they put it right on your plate and you can have as much as you want. Uh, I think all of us will say it was the best food we had and I don't think it was because of the food. I think it was because of the head waiter. The head waiter made us feel like we were the most important people on the planet. He made us smile. He made us laugh. That meal around that table with the four of us laughing and talking was worth everything for that trip. And it was all because of the waiter. When Peter talks about serve and serving here in this passage, it can encompass a lot of different kind of service-oriented things. One of the things it talks about is waiting tables. You know, people who wait tables do all kinds of things before the guests even arrive. And think about this, these strangers, these people they don't know, they make sure the table's clean and ready, they, they restock items and condiments and, 
And they review the reservations to see, to make sure they're ready, to know if anyone has any special food items. They ensure that the whole space is clean, sweat, vacuumed, ready to go. Those tasks are crucial into creating the environment where hospitality can happen. That's the kind of service Peter is talking about. Doing what is necessary to ensure that everyone is cared for. And we do that when we form a habit of putting our purpose, our purpose to embody the way of Jesus together over our preferences. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the ways in which we're blessed. Help us to continue to build habits, habits that help us move closer to the people that you know that we can be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.